Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. And today I have a first time guest an interview I've never done before with Liz White from the Animal Alliance Party of Canada. Welcome to the show, Liz. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I was really glad to get your uh, automated phone call the other day and hear about the cormorants you're trying to rescue. So I thought, why not have you on the show? So welcome to Animal Party on Pat Life Radio, Liz. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's good. Um, I want to just open up with some broad questions. So what is the Animal Alliance Party of Canada? Most people haven't heard of it, especially since it's a worldwide audience. Right. So it's actually the Animal Protection Party of Canada. We used to have Animal Alliance in the name, but that changed a little while ago. Okay. The idea is to um, let people know that this is a party about protecting animals. But if you actually look at our website and you look at our party platform, we're all about compassionate politics and inclusion, which means that we include animals, people and the environment. So our idea is that we all have to take care of each other and the uh, environment that we depend upon in order for all of us to have rich and diverse and uh, wonderful lives. Oh, wow. It sounds beautiful. Uh, How does that contrast to, say, the Green Party? Well, the the Green Party has some very good stuff in their platform, but generally speaking, they are largely absent on animal issues. And so, interestingly, a party that speaks about the environment as being very important to them, they are pretty much entirely silent on the issue of intensive animal agriculture and the contribution of 25% to uh, global warming and greenhouse gases is contributed by uh, intensive animal agriculture worldwide. So in order for us to deal in any real way with climate change, it can't just be about oil and gas and what cars we drive, all that sorts, where we buy our food. It has to also include a change from animal agriculture to a plant-based agriculture economy. And that's a big shift for people, but it's a conversation that we need to start to have with everybody. And uh, sadly, the Green Party's absent in that discussion. Are you talking about worldwide vegetarianism for humans? Yeah, I'm talking about worldwide, actually not just vegetarianism, vegan. The, you know, yeah. when you look at, and it wouldn't be like we would say, you know, okay, as of now, everybody is going to be vegan. You know, we live in a democracy. People have the right to choose how they live and what they do. But what we would begin to do is to say that unlike other governments who give huge money to government money to animal agriculture, to boost the dairy industry, to boost the uh, hog industry, all of those industries, we would invest in smaller farms uh, and plant-based farms so that it would be a change from doing business the way we do now to a different way of doing business. And in fact, it would be much, it would be much more expensive to buy meat, which 
interestingly, it's more expensive in many places to buy vegetables, even though, you know, the animals that ultimately end up on our plate or produce milk are hugely expensive to care for. And yet we can produce meat in this country that is significantly cheaper than plants, which makes no sense. And the reason why we can do that is because we don't take care of their welfare. In fact, we have such a system called just in time so that in chicken industry, for example, when the egg is fertilized, the slaughter date is set for those birds. So, you know, there is just no way that you can delay transporting those birds to slaughter, for example, if the weather's too hot or too cold, because by the time the birds get to the slaughterhouse, if it's a day or two later, they're too big for the slaughter line because they grow so quickly. So the whole industry is built on the idea of cheap food, constantly accessible food, regardless of the cost to the animals that um, whose bodies we're using. And so that feeds into the whole issue of what do you do with all the waste? What do you do with all the transport issues? What do you do with all the, you know, the gases that come from these? All of that contributes to greenhouse gases. What do you do? How much water does it use? How much land does it use to feed these animals? And all of that contributes to global warming and greenhouse gases. And yet no other party is actually talking about this part of it. And when it's 25% of the contribution to global warming and greenhouse gases, and given that we're in this enormous crisis, with regard to global warming, I think we need to be serious about what we do about the animal agriculture part of it. Okay, so that's how you contrast yourselves with the Green Party, one of the ways. It strikes me that people are going to want to know, how are you different from PETA? Uh, How are you different from PETA? PETA, so we're a political party. Right. Uh, We are registered at the federal level under Elections Canada. We've met all their requirements. We have to behave in a particular way. And so. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I'm like, Greenpeace, you're not going to go out there and stop boats. My next question is, how are you different from Greenpeace? Because I know people want to know this, right? We can absolutely go out and stop boats. (laughs) Oh, you can. can. The issue issue is that you make a commitment Mm -hmm. uh, under the Canada Elections Act to participate in the electoral discourse, in the politics, uh, political discourse of this country uh, through electoral politics. And so we're involved in elections, we run candidates, we have a party platform, it's inclusive, but that doesn't mean that we can't go out and fight for the cormorants and do the issue work uh, that needs to be done in order to make sure that the animals that are at risk of being cruelly treated are not, that we don't defend or try and stop that from happening. Okay, so we're going to break right now. We're going to come back and talk a little more about some of those actions. And uh, I would like to know, though, just like when we come back, just how this is different from Greenpeace and PETA. Sure. Uh, So we'll come back and talk about that. And then we're going to talk about what are they doing to save the cormorants? You know what cormorants are? They're sort of like loons, but not exactly. But it's a water bird and they eat a lot of fish. And sometimes fishermen don't like that. I'm betting that that's part of the issue here. But we'll find out when we get back from break. So stay tuned. We are talking with Liz White from the Animal Protection Party of Canada. And we'll be finding out more about what is going on with the cormorants. Apparently, the government here is sanctioning people to go kill them in droves, which is it is not good. And it used to be that Canada geese were on that list. And I don't think they are anymore in Canada, but they are in other parts of the world. 
So let's talk about that when we get back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Stay tuned. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello! We're back on Animal Party, Pet Life Radio. And of course, I want to talk about the birds, but we're just going to ask a couple more questions here first of Liz White, who I can see has a cat in her view screen. Very nice. <laughs> cat just tipped its tail and touched her with the very tip of it, which is a sign of friendship. When your cat does that, when it flops its tail and just delicately, gingerly touches you with the edge of the tail, the very sensitive part of the cat, that is indicating to you and everyone else that you're friends. So she has a cat friend and she's on Animal Party Pet Life Radio, representing Animal Protection Party of Canada. And I just want to know, how is this different from Greenpeace and PETA, the other two organizations people really know well? Well, first of all, in order to make real change for animals and the environment, you have to do politics. There's just no way around it. The politicians at every level are the gatekeepers of legislation, which determines how many animals live and die, how many animals get used for particular purposes, how they're treated, the amount of cruelty that's acceptable, all of those sorts of things are legislated. So unless you are part of the electoral discourse, unless you're up on a platform talking about this stuff, it doesn't get talked about politically. And so it makes it very difficult to change the legislation. Just to make a point, in Holland, they have the party for the animals. Now they have proportional representation. They've elected about 60 people at various levels of government, five in their national assembly and one in the European parliament. And that, even though they're five out of some 200, it has made a fundamental change about the direction in which the Netherlands is going in terms of what they're doing with animals in research, what they're doing with animals in, on farms, what they're doing with animals that are intricately connected in our lives. And that is directly, I would argue, directly the outcome of the party for the animals. And so it demonstrates how critically important it is to have elected people who are defenders of animals, who want to fight animal cruelty and want a better environment for all of us. 
to sit in the legislature, to sit in parliament and to argue for change. And that's why we have the party. We don't have proportional representation in Canada at the federal level. So it is not going to be easy for us to get elected. It took the Green Party about 30 years to get one person elected. So we have clearly an uphill battle. The point is, though, that if proportional representation ever comes to Canada, we are very well positioned to get somebody elected. And our intention is to move forward to do that as best as we possibly can, because the animals need a voice at Parliament. How many uh, candidates are, do you have? How many areas? We have... So there are, just to give you the ball, there are 338 ridings across Canada. And last year, we're just starting to ramp this stuff up now. In the last election, which was in 2019, we ran 17 candidates. That was across the country. So you realize the candidates have to be vegan. You know, they have to understand the animal issues. They have to agree with the party platform. But we're in the process of building that capacity increasingly in every election so that we have an opportunity to actually get somebody elected should the uh, should we be presented with that opportunity. You know, I just flashed ahead. I know it's a little bit silly, but I just, there's so many politicians with scandals. We were talking uh, before we came on air about the Canadian politician who got caught naked on air on a Zoom call. And it just makes me think someone in your party, it would be a scandal if they got caught eating a cheeseburger in public and they immediately have to lose their seat. But um, I want to know about this. That would indeed be a scandal. And I can tell you, um, <laughs> the, the, our, our opposition would make, would make great humbridge over that. And I could just imagine him going, but it's it's not. It's one of those mock burgers. It's it's not real. I swear. I swear. They told me it was fake. Do you um, support all these fake meats? These the new, you know, beyond this and beyond that. These sort of genetically strange to me. Tastes like meat, but no animal was hurt to make it foods. I think in terms of a transition, it helps people move from eating meat to not eating meat. It's much easier when I first became vegan, you know, those sorts of things were not available. There's very little of that sort of product. So, you know, you ate lentils and beans and all the other stuff that, you know, you go to make up protein and and good healthy food. But I do think that it really helps people to move forward. And I've noticed, you know, that that they're very, very popular um, in fast food outlets. The only caution, of course, is that fast food is not healthy. Yeah, they're really not healthy, these weird things. I mean, they definitely have a lot of cholesterol and other types of things we're all trying to avoid. Right. So, you know, the idea that you you want to move away from meat, which is especially red meat, but lots of other meat also causes all kinds of health issues in many people. Maybe this is a brief transition, but hopefully a brief transition into something that, you know, if you become just being vegan doesn't mean you're eat healthy, but it tends to lead to a healthier diet if you don't have those sort of processed dinners all the time. Well, I did tease a little bit. We have to go to a commercial break. But before we do, we'll just start to talk about the cormorants because I know my audience is listening for that. They're waiting to hear us talk about animals. So can we just lay out the issue with the cormorants a bit? Is it true that Ontario wants people to kill them? What's going on with this? So what's interesting, because you're on the West Coast, is that cormorants are regularly seen on the West Coast and nobody thinks twice about it. No, they're ocean birds here. Nobody minds them. Nobody even notices them. Exactly. Um, But in Ontario, it's a little bit different. In in the last 150 years, 
cormorants were driven to near extinction twice, once from overhunting and persecution. And the second time, just as they were beginning to recover from that, they got hit with DDT in the 30s and 40s. And that knocked their population way down. They were down to about 100 pairs. So very small numbers. So the return of the cormorants, which are now estimated at about 2 million, not a huge number of birds, is a tremendous uh, recovery success. And a success, I think, that we should all celebrate because we were able to bring them back from the brink. And so, um, so people aren't used to seeing them. And then all of a sudden, in the 1990s and, and on, people began to notice these huge collections of birds. They noticed them sitting in trees on islands, and they noticed that the trees were dying, and they noticed that there was big changes on these islands, and people thought that this was, there was something wrong. So they had to do something. So we've been through a whole period of time in which we began to fight the culls that were occurring in Ontario because they were episodic. Um, and educating people about these wonderful birds. This is a recovery. They occupy 3% of the 30,000 islands that exist in the Great Lakes Basin, 3% of those islands. And yet we have in Ontario, with our government, a lack of tolerance of them even occupying the 3%. So I think when you strip all that away, there is a clear bias against cormorants. There is a clear dislike of the birds there is a clear thought on the part of fishermen that these birds are competition. Uh, when every study that has been done that is on a scientific basis disputes all of that, um, these are birds that nest collectively with great blue herons, great egrets, black crowned night herons, and many other species of birds, many, uh, many types of gulls, herring gulls, ring-billed gulls, all sorts of birds on these beautiful islands. And what fishermen tend to forget is that there has to be a lot of fish in the lake in order to support the numbers of birds that actually colonize these places. Now, the largest cormorant colony on the Great Lakes, in the Great Lakes Basin, is in Toronto, downtown Toronto. That is so unbelievable. That's surprising. There's a, there's a spit uh, that was built that is man-made spit that was originally going to be turned into kind of a hotel and, and all sorts of different things. But funnily enough, a bunch of migratory birds occupied the spit once it was built and it became a bird sanctuary and the cormorants have moved in. There's about 14,000 nesting pairs. So that would be 28,000 birds in downtown Toronto on this peninsula. So it's, you know, it's just <laughs> it's amazing. It, it is an amazing place to visit. It is so fantastic and dynamic and wonderful. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walk the spit to see this phenomenon. So there's clearly, you know, tourist marketing possibilities to show people these colonies. And yet our provincial government has decided that the cormorant population in Ontario needs to be reduced. So they've uh, set them up as, uh, they, they've now declared them as a game bird. Nobody will eat cormorants. They probably taste like fish. They taste like fish. <laughs> yes. They, it's probably they, awful. It's probably really fishy, tasty, weird. Pink. Because I know if you, yeah. uh, you know, uh, if you have chickens and you feed them fish, then the eggs taste like fish. So you feed them fruit. So the eggs will taste sweet. You don't feed them fish. So that would be a terrible taste. But these are migratory birds, right? These cormorants are not Ontario's to kill. 
These are the birds. I mean, we're recording here in Florida. These are the cormorans you're seeing in Florida. These are them, right? The same yes. ones. Yes, that's they terrible. They migrate from Ontario down to Mississippi, down all along the coast there in the United States. And in fact, in some places in the United States, they're also under attack. What we know about cormorants is that they have been persecuted for hundreds of years and people just don't like them. They don't like what they do and they don't want them around. And yet they are a recovery success and something that we should celebrate. We're going to go to a break and come back and finish this show with Liz White from the Animal Protection Party of Canada. We've been talking about cormorants and we're going to talk a little more about some more animals when we get back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. And I'm going to ask Liz White to come back and do a future show because there are more animals that are being protected by the Animal Protection Party of Canada. It's not just the cormorants. They are working on all kinds of things, farm animals and things, objectives and um, efforts to help with animals that are being hunted, fished and trapped, pound release and research, all kinds of animals. And that now we're getting into where I really get my hackles up, the International Puppy Mills. So this is an organization, a party that's doing some of the good work my listeners care about. But we're going to finish up talking about the cormorans on this show because we've got a huge audience in Florida and all over North America and the world. And cormorans, only in researching this show did I learn that they're even freshwater birds. I just thought that they were always in the saltwater. I've seen them in Florida so much. I've seen them here in BC so much. They sort of look like loons, different pattern. And they're always underwater, often underwater. They're just phenomenal birds. What are you doing to help them? Well, the original fight before the provincial government declared them game birds was to target. So Ontario, uh, the parks, people in Ontario introduced a cull in 2004. That ended in 2007. And then immediately after that, Parks Canada at Point Pelee National Park, which is park in Lake Erie, one of the Great Lakes started to cull birds on Middle Island. Now, Middle Island, which is part of Point Pelee National Park, is 25 kilometers from the shore. Nobody is allowed on the island. It's in the middle of Lake Erie. And yet this park has introduced a cull, which they've conducted since 2008 and eight. They've killed over 20,000 birds on that island. And they've spent about a million dollars doing it. And they are going to be doing it every year. They want to reduce the numbers of birds down to a very small number. 
in order to protect certain plants on the island. Now, the island is about 100 meters from the U.S. border. And if you push the island 100 meters across the border, there would not be a single plant on that island that was endangered. They're widely distributed throughout the United States. Kentucky coffee trees, a bunch of trees and plants that we're killing birds to protect on Middle Island are not, in fact, endangered or at risk. They are widely distributed in the United States. And so the sad part is that these birds are being shot and killed really for no reason. Specifically this year, though, when we have a COVID crisis in Ontario, the numbers are going up. We have an emergency lockdown. And yet still, Parks Canada is getting in a boat, six people together, not social distancing, to travel out to Middle Island so they can shoot birds. So even in an emergency situation like we're in now, Parks Canada feels it necessary to go out and shoot a bunch of cormorants in order to protect plants. And we have proved over and over and over again that it really is a make-work project. It's something that they are going to do in perpetuity because they need to do it in perpetuity if they want to keep the cormorant numbers down. But, But okay, so what can people do? If they're listening right now and they're saying, I love cormorants, what can I do? What can they do? I would recommend that they they email John Wilkinson, who's the Minister of the Environment and Climate Change. He's responsible for Parks Canada. And simply write to John Wilkinson and say, Dear Mr. Wilkinson, please do not call cormorants on Middle Island at Point Pelee National Park. Okay, that's very helpful. I'm going to get that from you later and post it with the show. So we have that email up for them to link to. Um, okay. And I would love to have you come back. I hope you'll come back and do a future show. Sure. Anytime. Oh, great. All right, everyone. This so reminded me, the last bit you were talking about reminded me of small picture thinking. You know, they go hunt one animal or they go save one animal and then they're upset with another. We had an issue here recently where loads of children go and release salmon roe at hatcheries every year and people get involved in this and it's all to you know restore the salmon. It's a very good effort. But the little baby salmon were being microchipped so we could track them and they were going missing. And it was, you know, a big scandal. Where are they going? Where are they going? Well, they found out where they were going. They were going to a blue heron hatchery that was also endangered and also being set up to be reestablished. And it just so happened they set these two things up right beside each other and the row are perfect for the baby heron. And so now people started saying, well, we should call the herons. No, no, people. That is not the way to do this. We need big picture thinking here. We want the herons and we want the salmon. Come on now, get it together. We don't shoot one or kill one or net one. To save the other. So I hope people will log on and get that email address and talk to that, you know, get the word out. Stop the call of the cormorants. The cormorants are not are not the bad guys here. And I don't know why they would be labeled as such. Around here, sometimes you see seals shot. Same yeah. idea that they're competing for fish. Yep. And it's just not the way to go. It's really not. And what they don't realize is if they're in large numbers, it means there's lots of fish. But, you know, at Lake Erie, when I go out to watch the cormorant call, which I've done every year since 2008, I pass miles of fish fishing nets that go from the top of the water to the bottom of the water and catch everything. And so when you look at the volume of fish that these guys are taking out of the lake, the cormorants are so tiny in that regard. And they take small fish. That's the other thing. 
Yep. And and it's not baby fish. It's not selective. It's they take you know that's the other thing about the way we take everything. They take certain things, right? What they're mostly eating are the invasive fish, so alewives and round gobies, and that's what they're mostly living on. They do take other fish, but mostly those they're smaller fish, so that's mostly what they go after. Makes sense. Okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this show. I sure did. I learned a lot. Thank you very much for joining us, Liz. I really appreciate it. It was eye-opening. Thank you. Have a great day, you guys. Okay. Well, stay tuned. I want to talk to you about that future show. All right, everyone. Animal Protection Party of Canada. And please send your email to that politician. Let him know you want to save the cormorant. All right. From everyone at Animal Party and me, Deb Wolf, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.